You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, as always, Jeff Turn in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now, as he always does on Tuesdays, Bill Barnwell, host of the Bill Barnwell Show, wherever you get your podcasts. You can always read his writing on .com as well. Bill, let's just start with the big news. What was your reaction to Jeff Saturday's hiring, and what do you think success looks like for the Colts, understanding their needs and the desire not to become an apathetic team? I mean, I was pretty confused, I got to admit. Um, not expected. Probably Jeff Saturday was a little more surprised than me, given that he got <laughs> the call to take the actual job. Um, and we should obviously, you know, mention here, by all accounts, Jeff Saturday has worked at ESPN for a while, very well regarded internally. Everyone likes him. Everyone thinks he's a smart guy. There's not an issue with Jeff Saturday having coaching aspirations or wanting to do this job, and maybe he'll be great at this job. But this is someone who has really no qualifications beyond playing, of which there are thousands of players who typically take years to get to this point. Jeff, Jeff Saturday is the first coach to take over a head coaching job after not coaching at the college or pro levels since 1961. The game has changed a lot since then. And so I think for me, I I look at what the the Colts have done over the last two months, and I kind of think they're tanking, whether they want to say it, whether they want to, um, you know, whether they want to admit it publicly, whether they want to lose or not. I, I certainly don't think they are making moves with the idea of being as, it's carry as much about winning as they have in years past. So to me, I think hiring Jeff Saturday kind of says, okay, well, we're willing to take a risk because if we lose, hey, that's fine. We want a high draft pick anyway. And if we win, we'll stumble on a great coach, then hey, all the better. So, Bill, I'm going to be uh, completely transparent with my question uh, regarding two wide receivers in this league because I'm much more immature than you are. I am not as uh, smart (laughs) as you. So I would go into the debating conversation of the nightlife in Las Vegas versus the nightlife in Miami (laughs) and how they are affecting uh, Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. But I know you talked about this on Debatable earlier. Why has Tyreek Hill been a much better fit in Miami than Devontae Adams has been in Las Vegas? Yeah, it's a tough question. You know, I, I think it's less about the players and more about the teams and what they had around them at the time of these deals. Of course, the Dolphins have used a couple of their first riders to trade for veteran players, Bradley Chubb most recently as well, but Tyreek for him. But they had a core of first and second and third round picks on that roster where you have the right coach and you have those guys developing. They should be hitting their peak right now. And you have that core where you can say, okay, Maybe if we add a Tyree kill, maybe that will make everyone else in this team better and make our young players who are kind of, you know, off to an okay start, get that much better. And for the Raiders, the opposite is true. The John Gruden era is littered with bad first and second round picks. We just saw today, Jonathan Abram, one of the first round picks in the Gruden era was cut by the Raiders outright. Um, you don't see that very often for first round picks. And that, that sort of core of guys who should be the, the, the main components of that team around Devontae Adams don't exist. They're not on the roster. They're either are mediocre or they got traded or they got cut or they've had off-field incidents keeping them out of football. And so I just think Devontae Adams was a good player and, of course, made this team better but did not really – was sort of a, a luxury addition to a team that didn't need a luxury addition. They're, you know, it, it's the fancy stereo for a car where the engine's broken. And I think for the Dolphins, they have that engine. The Tyree Kill made more sense for them than Devontae Adams did for the Raiders. Bill Barnwell's with us here. You can follow him at Bill Barnwell. Bills, your Bills, 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 the Bills, <laughs> lost to the Jets. 
Is there any sort of blueprint there from the Jets on how to beat them, or was that just an off night for Josh Allen and company? I think there's a little bit of a blueprint. I think we saw some positive things. Obviously, simple stuff, trying not to turn the ball over. If you can get Josh Allen to force a couple giveaways, do that. And certainly, even before this game, and we saw Josh Allen make some mistakes with the ball, even in the Packers game. Now, granted, they were ahead by more, and so it didn't matter. But in a closer game, it did matter. We saw them change their uh, coverages um, as the game went on. Dan Pizzuta, uh tweeted that they went from mostly man coverage in the first half to cover six in the second half, so showing different looks to Josh Allen and sort of making him, you know, maybe confusing him a little bit at the snap uh, is something that maybe you can do to try and, and something like that. But the reality is, I think the Jets are a good defense. I mm. think they have a great pass rush. I think Sauce Gardner's playing really well. Their secondary has been solid. They got up to a slow start this year in defense, but since week three, they've been one of the best defenses in football. And so I think other teams might try to emulate this blueprint, but I think the Jets are just maybe a little better on defense than the vast majority of teams right now. And I know one of the major storylines heading into the next game for the Bills is obviously the health of Josh Allen. But Mm -hmm. I think one of the really unique things right now with regards to the top wide receivers in this league is what's happening between these two teams that are matching up. I mean, Bill, you've covered this league for a long time. How unique is it to trade away a player that becomes arguably the best wide receiver in the league in Stephon Diggs, and then his replacement becomes the second maybe best player at that same position in what you have right now with you know an, an amazing player there in Justin Jefferson? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen like that, that you replace the guy that leaves with the guy that's maybe the second best in the league. I mean, has there ever been a better example of a win-win trade, right? Yeah. I mean, if you ask the Bills, 100 times out of 100, they make that trade. And if you ask the Vikings, probably 100 times out of 100, they make that trade too. It's been such a, a great fit, and it really has not. I can't think of an example where it's happened in the past. And I think it's a credit to, you know, both these teams, that they kind of recognize that there, there was an opportunity to match up here. I think, obviously, if the Vikings draft Gallon Rieger instead of Justin Jefferson, we're talking very differently about this trade. But remember, I mean, when Stephon Diggs left Minnesota, the conversation was, oh, he's a, a prima donna. You don't want to play with him. Josh Allen and him are getting into a fist fight on the field in week six or something. And they've been a perfect fit. They're a great pair. They've worked really well together. Josh Allen has made Stephon Diggs an even better receiver than the guy he was in Minnesota. So I think, you know, we always talk about winners and losers. This is a trade that had a winner and a different sort of winner. Bill Barnwell's with us. Jeff Turn is in for Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. At the risk of my menchies being eaten up by Minnesotans and Seattle folks, <laughs> are either of those teams actually contenders? Yeah. I think the team that I'm going to say is a contender might not be the one that comes to mind. I think Seattle's better than Minnesota. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I think the Vikings – I mean, I've watched them play every week. They are 7-1, and one, and that matters, and they have some really impressive players. Darius Smith playing great football, but I do not watch that team and think, man, they have a great formula for winning games in the long term. I think they've been relatively lucky in terms of how they've handled stuff late in games, and that's tough to keep up as the season goes along. And for Seattle, I think they're better on both sides of the ball in some ways. I think their offense looks better with Kenneth Walker running back. I think Geno Smith is playing out of his mind, and I think he's playing better than Kirk Cousins is right now. But I think they have maybe a, a, a defense that can maybe force more takeaways than Minnesota. I think their secondary is better than Minnesota. Um, don't know about the pass rush. That's kind of the one advantage of the Vikings. But I do think Seattle is a team I kind of favor if those two teams are playing heads up. And right now, uh, you know, these these teams making trades last week obviously are just starting to to maybe reap the benefits of those trades. Uh, there aren't any more trades that can be made, but there is still one prized possession out there on the open market, and that is Odell Beckham Jr. 
at this point, what do you think is the best fit for him? Maybe not where he ultimately lands, but what would be the best fit for him and that team? I'll be honest with you guys. If I were Odell Beckham, I would never sign anywhere because every week it feels like teams <laughs> get more and more desperate for Odell <laughs> Beckham. Like every week we have an yeah. offense that has someone get hurt or they struggle, and I just think, man, if Odell Beckham goes there, he's going to get so much money. And every week it goes up. To me, I would just never <laughs> sign. You're going to be the most valuable player in football by never playing. But if we talk about what actually matters in terms of on the football field, I would have said the Packers before the last couple of weeks, but at this point, what's the point of adding Odell Beckham? Right. They're kind of doomed whether he had him or not. So I think I would go with, at this point, probably the Rams. I think they need a wide receiver who can win against man coverage. Outside of Cooper Cup, they need a receiver to be a difference maker. Allen Robinson has not been that guy. And I think he's loved there. Loved in the building. Of course, everyone in the NFL wants to live in Los Angeles. So to me, I think I'd go to the Rams, try to build that team back up, and then head into free agency one more time next year, hopefully healthy, and get a big deal if you're Odell Beckham. Bill Barnwell with us. Hey, real quick before you go, it's hard to tell who's the bottom of the pack or who's out of it because there is so much parity this year. Is there a team or two that kind of looks like they're out of it that you think could have a really strong second half and be right back in the mix or has the talent to do so? I think the Rams. You know, I, I just have so much faith in their star players and in Sean McVay to figure it out. I think they'll get a little healthier as the year goes on, and I think they're the best position team to add somebody. Everyone wants to play there, so I think they they have the best shot of adding a free agent like an Odell Beckham, and that could be the difference there in, in a very crowded NFC West. Yeah. Awesome stuff, Bill. Always love having you on. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Bill Barnwell, host of the Bill Barnwell Show. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Read his stuff on .com. Follow him at Bill Barnwell. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's proud to support veterans and small businesses with their annual Keys to Progress vehicle giveaway program, helping veterans move their lives forward since 2013. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. Coming up, we'll break down the NBA with an all-NBA edition of Quickies. Coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It can be tough sometimes to keep up with the NBA while the games are happening as we speak. Last night, there were some killer games, including a heroic performance from Steph Curry and a mind-numbing loss from the Nets that should have gone a different way. We'll get into all of it here. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you as always. Jeff Turn in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Whenever we got too much to get to and not enough time, you know how we do it. That's right. We continue to not do phrasing. Steph Curry, as I mentioned, 47 points last night. The Warriors coming off a horrific road trip, a terrible start, and a five-game losing skid. And Curry had 47 on 17 to 24 shooting, had seven of 12 from three, eight rebounds, eight assists, and 17 of those came in the fourth quarter to lift them over the Kings. Man, it's hard, Jeff, anytime a team is coming off a championship to not presume there's going to be a bit of a hangover. It's going to take a little longer to really kick it. And we even saw last year some really tough struggles for them early in the new year before they put it together. So I'm not super worried about the Warriors right now. I still consider them a top contender. But uh, they, need a, they need a couple more like this to get me back uh, feeling super confident. Yeah, you know you've won a bleep ton of games when Clay Thompson calls that the road trip from hell, and it was like you know a, a, a early season road trip yeah. that put them, you know, still uh, you know four and seven on the season. They're not like they're ten games uh, out of five hundred. Yeah, I think for many Warriors fans, they probably would agree. But you know, Steph's always going to be a guy that can get you back on the right track. 
And right now he's had his second most threes through 11 games in his career dating back to the 2019 year when he set the record. So, I mean, they're still going to go as far as Steph takes them. And right now Steph sort of got him back on the right track. So I think that's going to be expected. Although I do kind of find it funny because before the season, I know the projections from ESPN had them as the eight seed and everybody sort of laughed at it. But now it's sort of settling in that there's either a hangover, they're getting older, people are coming at them because they're the champs, they're getting their best. So I, I think it's sort of expected, but you know what? They'll be all right before, before the all-star break for sure. All right, next story. Not all right, the Nets. And man, they've, they've had a lot of reasons to lose games early, whether that's Kyrie being in and out, currently out, whether that's the firing of Steve Nash, whether that's Ben Simmons, Ben Simmonsing, but they could have had last night's game and they lost dumb, uh, you know, just a brutal, first of all, I, I, I guess you can't blame a team when you're playing Luca right now. I mean, right. nine straight games of at least 30 to begin the season. Um, but you've got you've got Kevin Durant at the line with the game uh, and the potential to tie things up. Can't hit his free throws. You've got uh, Kevin Durant having to pick up slack and take over Luca because Simmons can't guard him. How many points did Simmons have last night? Two, I want to say. Two points. Um, just you know, he was out for a little while with knee soreness, but two points and three boards in 16 minutes. You just, I don't see, Jeff, how this team can put together enough defense to win any games against good teams. You'll get Kevin Durant doing well. You'll get Kevin Durant putting up numbers. They're not going to win anything with the, with the roster they've got right now. Not a damn thing. And I don't think anybody in the league nor non-Nets fans feel sorry for him. It's really a lot of self-inflicted wounds, whether it's from roster construction to the way that the Nash thing unfolded to the continuing of the enabling of Kyrie Irving and then to continue to trot out Ben Simmons, who just looks like an absolute shell of his old self. Um, this is going to be something that I think ends with multiple players being traded before the trade deadline, and it very well could be Kyrie if any team will take him, Kevin Durant, and anyone else that they can ship out of Brooklyn. A complete reboot feels like it's more on the horizon than any sort of deep playoff run. Yeah, I was listening to Bamani Jones on my flight, his latest podcast, talking about how before any of the really recent Kyrie fallout, he was already advising the team to waive him. He said, listen, he's going to make your team worse because he's going to be in and out when he is available, and you're not going to be able to trade him. Get out ahead of this because it's a disaster. And since he advised that, it's only gotten worse. I don't really see a realistic way for Kyrie to check off everything on that list, nor will he want to. So as good of a player as he can be, it feels like they have to get some stability and consistency there, and that's not going to happen if he continues to distract and be in and out of the lineup. So uh, not a lot of excitement and enthusiasm on the horizon for those Nets. But on the other hand, next story, we mentioned the Mavs. People weren't sure about some of the offseason losses. Maybe would they be able to keep up what they had going last year? And if Luka plays like this, they will. 36 points last night, 30-plus in nine straight games. That's the second-longest streak of all time, only behind Wilt Chamberlain. And the Mavs are hanging in there and doing things that maybe people didn't expect uh, coming out of the offseason. Yeah, you know, I, I watch Luka play, and I'm as big a Luka fan as anybody, but you, you look at his body type and you're like, how does that dude do those things? When you saw Wilt 
and you saw the the images of him versus all the other people he played against, he just looked different. Right. Now, Luka looks different in a different way, right? <laughs> like, Luka looks like your boy that you're going to go play some Madden with, mm-hmm. and he's like two pieces of pizza in, like four Mountain Dews, and he's just chilling on the couch. And then Luka stands up and scores 36. It's just amazing to watch. He's in rarefied air. He's so special, and he's so young. He's just scratching the surface. I do wonder, though, with the workload that they have, and you mentioned some of the offseason moves, if that eventually catches up to them with regards to how much they have to rely on him. I think mm-hmm. the Mavs will be one of those teams that's definitely in on somebody coming up later in the in the uh, trade conversations throughout the year because if they can add another player to that roster that can alleviate some of that, man, they are going to be special once again in the postseason. Remember, they went to the Western Conference Finals a year ago, and Luke mm-hmm. is playing better than he did a year ago. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing NBA quickies. Sarah Spain, Jeff Turn in for Fitz tonight. Next story. It's kind of two teams and their connection. The Jazz surprising everyone with a 9-3 and three start, second best record in the NBA. Meanwhile, the T-Wolves took a couple of those players, including their big man, Rudy Gobert, 5-6 and six currently. Don't really seem to know how to do the double big man move that is going opposite of the decision-making almost every other team in the league is using in terms of small ball. What's your response to this? Are you as surprised as most of the league is? Yeah, I thought the the great wall of Gobert was going to work out a lot better <laughs> with Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. But like, think of all these connections. You got Walker Kessler, who they drafted in Minnesota and was a part of that trade. Jared Vanderbilt was a part of that trade. Malik Beasley was a part of that trade. Laurie Markkinen was actually drafted by the Wolves and then traded in the Jimmy Butler deal to the Bulls. Um, all these guys are a part, and Laurie Markkinen right now is leading – the mm-hmm. Jazz in points at almost 22 per game. Walker Kessler's a blocking machine, 1.6 per. Uh, the Jazz, I thought they were going to be you know, introducing Wimbenyana next year. It looks like yep. they may be introducing themselves as one of the top four seeds in the West come playoff time. It's been wild to watch. We'll see if it sticks around. We'll see if the T-Wolves can figure anything out with a little more time. But um, that trade was confusing to a lot of people, and it seems to be proving rightfully so. Uh, we ran out of time. In quickies, ain't that always the way? Uh, we were just <laughs> going to tell you we're worried about Kawhi. Rinse and repeat every year. Coming up, we're going to react to the latest college football playoff rankings with Adam Rittenberg. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jeff turned in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You can usually hear Jeff on ESPN Sioux Falls. And if you've never heard the lengthy efforts to get Stugatz to Stew Falls and rename the city. Uh, go back in the archives of the Levitard show and the archives of Jeff's show uh, to find out all the work he has put in. Uh, really for naught. Uh, really a, a giant waste of time. Thanks uh, for bringing up my failures. I appreciate it, Sarah. If my wife doesn't do that enough, I appreciate that. <laughs> never, Thank you for telling me the world. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there has been a victory today, not for Jeff, uh, but for the College Football Playoff Committee because they rightfully – put George at the top spot to get into that and the rest of the rankings. ESPN senior college football writer Adam Rittenberg joining us now here on Spain and Fitz. Top four, number one, Georgia, number two, Ohio State, number three, Michigan, number four, TCU. Adam, you got any qualms with these top four? I've seen a lot of people nodding in agreement. Yeah, I'm, I'm after last week when I was furious, not, not necessarily with the top four, but TCU being at seven, um, uh, that just really ticked me off. This is actually a reasonable ranking by the committee. Uh, Georgia, no issue with them, of course, at, at one. You know, you, you know, even if Tennessee had been ahead of TCU, I would have understood it. Um, I wouldn't have liked it. But I, I'm glad that TCU was finally 
rewarded. I thought that the rationale around TCU, oh, they don't start games fast enough. They may not be balanced enough on offense and defense. It was just hypocritical when you look at other teams that have been in that mold and have lost games, like LSU, sitting there at, at, at number seven with two losses. They've been a lot like TCU, haven't started games well, but they've finished games a lot better. So overall, pretty happy with this ranking. Talk to us about Tennessee at number five and what it means for their playoff hopes moving forward, because I'm sure there was many Vols fans that were drinking sort of orange tie-dyed moonshine after their loss in the fashion they did to Georgia the other day. Do they still have hopes that they can get back in the top four now? They have a, a great hope, Jeff. If you really look at it, I mean, you know, there's going to be a loss between number two and number three. Uh, that's guaranteed because they play each other on November 26th. They obviously could lose other games. It's unlikely, but you know, one of those teams is going to lose and Tennessee has a a relatively easy finish. Missouri at home, South Carolina on the road, Vanderbilt on the road. They should be heavily favored or will be heavily favored to win out. And if they win in dominant fashion, you know, they they should be in very good shape, even though they won't be in the SEC championship game to get into the college football playoff as an at-large. They they don't control that necessarily, but but if they can finish strong, I, I think even though they were beaten definitively, by Georgia, those other wins on their resume, LSU, which is a better and better win, still over Alabama. The Kentucky win doesn't look as good, but it's still a solid win. Uh, And if they can be dominant down the stretch, that's really going to be the story of their season for the most part. So it'll help their, their cause about getting in. At ESPN Rittenberg is where you can follow Adam Rittenberg. I want to stick on that for a moment because I know it's tough for us to read the minds of the rankings committee. It feels like, depending on the week, different things are held up as explanations for their reasoning. But I want you to do your best here. When it comes to Tennessee and the victory over LSU, it was a huge win, and it looks better when they beat Bama. But does that make their win over Bama look less impressive? And where does that all net out in the end? No, the, the one thing, Sarah, like we all should have, should have people that love us in our lives as much as the committee loves the University of Alabama. I mean, this is an <laughs> Alabama team that has two losses and could have four losses. Um, they, they, they were fortunate against Texas. They were uh, fortunate against the bad Texas A&M team. I know Bryce Young didn't play in that game. So any win over Alabama is going to resonate. And so in a way, yes, that dominant win over LSU is going to help Tennessee's cause going forward as long as they have one loss. And LSU has, has two losses. We, we know that's going to be the case. So as long as Tennessee doesn't stumble here down the stretch, I do think it's important for them to look like they did in the Kentucky game and in the LSU game um, and some of their earlier games that they're not winning these games uh, you know, in the final minute. But uh, if they can take care of business, I really like their chances to get in as an at-large. Now, Adam, I know we have a lot of time to add the word controversy to these rankings, but it feels like last week made some sense, I I guess, other than the TCU situation. And even when we get to the Final Four, usually it's not like we sit back and go, oh, my God, uh, these egregious mistakes happened and these two teams shouldn't be here and these should. We are going towards expansion sooner rather than later. Do you think we'll have more controversy on weeks like this, week two, week three of the playoff rankings once we get to expansion, or will it be less than what we have now? It'll be different. I, you know, I think there's going to be more debate over uh, you know, teams that, that are in different conferences that might be, might be projected to be conference champions, where are they positioned. There'll obviously be some debate around those final at-large spots. There'll actually be more conversation around potential group of five champions because the highest rated uh, group of five champion most likely will get into the playoff. Well, for sure will get into the playoff. And sometimes 
the, the top two group of five champions will get into the playoff. Notre Dame will be more of a talking point. Now they have three losses this year. They're obviously not going to get into a four-team playoff and, and probably couldn't lose more than two games in the future to get into a 12-team playoff. But I, I think there's different levels of debate. Now it's all about the top four. After number six, number seven, there's not a whole lot to uh, be upset about. But I, I think it'll get a, a little more nuanced and, and interesting, the debates on Tuesday nights in the future with these rankings. Adam Rittenberg, ESPN senior college football writer with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jeff Turn in for Fitz tonight. Have you learned anything through the first two weeks about what the committee is valuing the most this year? Yeah, you know, I, I think they, they certainly uh, want, you know, want to see teams, and this is not necessarily uh, connected to this year, but they want to see, see teams be balanced. They want to see teams uh, look dominant. I think Georgia, the fact that they not only beat Tennessee convincingly, but not but beat the number six team, Oregon, in the first game, even more convincingly, uh, you know, merits them being at number one um, ahead of an Ohio State team that has also been you know, mostly dominant in, in its wins, but hasn't had the, the schedule strength that, that Oregon has. So I'm sorry, that you that Georgia has. So I, I think they're valuing the right things. I, I think it's very hard. As much as I like to get upset on Twitter about these rankings, it's not real because I know that, that like, I think, like, like Jeff said, normally it works out in the end. But, but it's very hard to justify things week to week when the results change and, and maybe you're, you're putting a team here uh, for, for, for some good things and punishing a team for you know, some of the same things. Like, like, the, like the TCU and LSU rankings last week just didn't make sense to me. Now they make a lot more sense going forward. We'll see if that, that remains or if they, if they backpedal on some of the, uh, some of the love for those, for those squads. Is there any team, Adam, outside the top 10 that has a Hail Mary chance of finding their way to the top four? Well, I think it's interesting that UCLA is sitting there at 8-1 and one with still a chance to win the, the Pac-12. Now, they're going to need Oregon to struggle down the stretch because they lost to, to, to the Ducks. But the Pac-12 has no divisions this year. So as long as UCLA gets in the top two, maybe they get a chance to redeem themselves in the Pac-12 championship. They get USC coming to the Rose Bowl in a couple of weeks. Their overall strength of schedule, much like Michigan's, is not going to help them. They're out of conference schedule, no power five teams. Same thing with Michigan. All the games were at home. So they're just interesting because they've been one of the best offenses in the country. They have a lot of impressive-looking wins in terms of the final score, but they're not going to get much credit the rest of the way. Arizona, no credit. Cal, no credit at the end. They obviously would get credit for beating USC in two weeks. Spain and Fitz, Jeff Turn in for Fitz tonight, talking to Adam Rittenberg. Before we let you go, I'm always the one who says, you know, these don't matter. The one that matters is at the end. This is just good content to start fights. But because it is content that tends to start fights, what is the most chaotic result next week or a week after that you would like to see to completely throw these rankings (laughs) up in the air and start all that arguing that we're so used to? Well, I, I think certainly if LSU runs the table, it'll get interesting because LSU w- would then beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. And how would you leave out the SEC champion? And how would you leave out the defending national championship? And, and what would you do about Tennessee? So that would be something that would be uh, interesting. I, I think the Ohio State-Michigan result, probably the, the loser of that game is out. But if it's Ohio State and let's say Notre Dame goes on a run, that win over Ohio State, or sorry, over Notre Dame in the opener – will help the Buckeyes profile. I think Michigan is in a position because of their weak non-conference schedule that they're, they're probably going to have to win out to, to make the playoff. And if they lose at all, 
uh, and don't win the Big Ten, they're, they're going to be out. So I think the SEC one is what you're rooting for if it's all about controversy. Awesome stuff, as always, Adam. Thanks for the time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Adam Rittenberg, you can follow him at ESPN Rittenberg. Coming up, I hear the sound of the clown car pulling around the corner with a new person at the wheel. We'll tell you who it is next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I saw a headline about Sepp Blatter today. Hadn't heard his name in a little while, and it reminded me that I wrote a column about him for ESPN in 2011. A couple things I had forgotten about him. Uh, one, he said women should wear tighter shorts and low-cut shirts to play soccer to bring in a larger male fan base. Uh, made a gay joke instead of responding to questions about hosting the World Cup in uh, Qatar. And uh, the one I forgot was that he was uh, president of the World Society of Friends of Suspenders, which you would think would be, you know, the Larry King or Mork and Mindy type suspenders, but were actually uh, garter belts. And he did not think women should be allowed to wear pantyhose instead of garters because garters are sexier. So he actually was president of a committee with 120 grown men from different countries who thought that was a good use of their time. Why am I talking about Sepp Blatter here on Spain and Fitz? It's Sarah Spain, Jeff Turn in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, because the former FIFA head, who at this point could just be off with his corrupt money somewhere keeping his mouth shut, Decide he still wants to talk about the World Cup and matters regarding FIFA. And what he said has afforded him a special position here on Spain and Fitz, which is the Spain and Fitz take you for a ride in a clown car. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I lose you. Is Earth flat or round? Yeah. I think you need to do research on it. Is this guy left-handed, right-handed? Is he amphibious? Make me a bicycle clown. That's right. There haven't been too many drivers in the clown car lately. I think we just became so overwhelmed that it was hard to pick one. But Sepp Blatter is an easy person to pick on. He led FIFA for 17 years. And the number of controversies, the number of alleged kickbacks, the money that he made leading by far the most corrupt organization in sports, which is really saying something, led him to today argued that there shouldn't be a World Cup in Qatar. It's too small of a country, he said. Football and the World Cup are too big for it. Interesting, Jeff, that now that he's not the one making money off of this, he's not the one actually benefiting from this, he suddenly sees the light. What a shock. Right, and I think that Qatar from the get-go was a bad idea. They even had to change the way that they now hand out World Cups based on that sole decision to give Qatar the World Cup. And we've seen the horrific, uh, you know, conversations about the people that have lost their lives building the stadiums over there. We've heard about how um, they say they won't be discriminatory towards those over there of all different backgrounds. And uh, I just, I don't buy it. I think it's going to be filled with a lot of controversy over the next six weeks. But at the middle of all that is a man that literally handed Qatar the World Cup. So, yeah. um, yes. I mean, yeah. and honestly, Sarah, the way you described him, I think he might take this with honor that he is driving yeah. the cloud car and be Fair. proud of something like this. Fair. I mean, he he probably will take any position of, of power at this point now that he's retired. Uh, congratulations, Sepp Blatter. And by the way, if you have not listened to the ESPN Daily recently with Jeremy Schapp and Pablo Torre about the World Cup, I highly recommend 
listening to it before everything gets going. All right. Thank you to the cloud car. Please pull away. And if you can, Sep, uh, please don't disrupt us with any quotes or anything that requires us to pay attention to you for another several years. Thank you very much. That's a clown question, bro. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, let's quickly address something that we asked on the pod uh, uh, um, on, on Twitter because we got some really fantastic responses to our question about travel fails uh, that, that came about as a result of your own uh, bad choices or mistakes. Uh, I asked this because today I went to the wrong airport and had to haul you-know-what across town, sprint to the gate, and now still have a tickle in my throat hours later from the unplanned sprint with baggage. Uh, And as a result, we asked you your worst travel story that was your fault, and y'all came through. Uh, You came through with some good ones. And uh, this guy, Coop, thought he'd save a few bucks on honeymoon flights home from Italy, so he got one with one stop, didn't realize until they landed in London that the second flight was out of the other London airport, not Heathrow, but Gatwick, and they had to take an hour bus ride to get there. New wife, a little bit less than excited about that one. Uh, plenty of people fell asleep at the gate and missed their flight. Uh, someone was in a rural part of Costa Rica, showed up for a 4 p.m. flight, turned out it was at 4 a.m., They just assumed it was at 4 p.m., but the only daily flight out was at 4 a.m., and they missed it. Uh, I'm sure you got some of these, Jeff. Well, you know, I I haven't had as many as you would think. I think more of mine are not self-inflicted wounds, but just the casualties of traveling, especially with younger kids. I mean, my sons are now seven, four, and three, so we always have sort of contingency plans and things like that to sort of alleviate some of that. I mean, you know, we we have found ourselves being late based on, you know, driving to an airport and having to stop five times for for bathroom breaks. I will tell you this. um, I found myself recently going to Phoenix in the last year with my kids, and I dropped my wife and my two sons off at the front after we drove probably 125 miles an hour, it felt like, to Minneapolis to catch this flight. And, you know, there's an airport here in Sioux Falls, but we figured why not just drive three and a half hours instead uh, to get a better flight. And so we ended up taking that one. And as I dropped them off and I drive through the parking lot like 12 times knowing I'm going to miss my flight, I decided to grab a, a spot that I knew would end up in a fine if I ended up parking there. So I just took the, the L, parked in the spot, came back out when we got back from our trip with a $300 ticket and moved <laughs> oh on with my life. But that yep. was probably the worst that's happened to me over the that's last you know handful of years. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you I this. Was a- I have left. I have left my work computer at LaGuardia Airport after the Super Bowl when it was in New York, and that was great to explain to my boss that I left the computer sitting there. Fortunately, I did get it back somehow, Uh, but but that one was one that wasn't You just reminded me of another one. I I have two that I was reminded of because somebody said, driving home from New York to Kansas City, I stopped in central Pennsylvania to eat, got back on I-80, and traveled 90 miles back east before realizing I went in the wrong direction. I didn't do that, but we got extremely delayed going to Italy for a friend's wedding. And instead of going straight to Milan, we had to get rerouted through Spain. We missed a whole day of the trip. It's midnight by the time we land in Milan and we're driving straight to Venice. So I'm rushing through the GPS as we're pulling out and I accidentally hit skip highways. So we're driving from Milan to Venice. We are going through these tiny towns. There are prostitutes on every corner. I'm like, I don't remember this from the last time I did this drive, like five or six years ago. And we finally stopped to get a beverage and we asked why it's taking so long. And they're like, why didn't you just take the four or whatever it's called? And I'm like, oh God. So we get to Venice at 2 a.m. and have to take a gondola because you park your car outside. You take a gondola in the middle of the night. So that, but the one you just reminded me of, I left my wedding ring on a boat in Greece. 
because ah. we were swimming in volcanic waters near Santorini and they suggested certain metals and jewelry would be affected. Not my wedding rings, not that kind of metal, but just in case I thought I'd take them off. My husband says, let me put it in my backpack. I'm like, that doesn't seem safe. This nice lady from the boat says she has a really safe like box with a clasp. We get back from the swim, the food's ready. We're kind of not thinking about it. I make it all the way from the Santorini airport to the Athens airport to the London airport when I realize it. And it cost me $1,400 because I had to get Ooh. a courier who took a boat to Santorini and had to go get the ring and ship it because no- nothing else would cover the insurance. So uh, that's, good a, time, that's a good one right there. Yeah, I, I did the yeah. same thing you did when it came to uh, the direction part. Um, on my phone, I had changed it at some point to walking directions. And when oh, no. we flew into Miami for the All-Star <laughs> game years ago, I was with my father-in-law and we thought it'd be cool to get a really neat two-seater with, you know, with, a, with a drop top on the top. So as I'm driving through Lil Havana uh, with this and my father law two dudes from the midwest we realized at some point i'm like man why do i keep having to go around the same block and i looked at my thing and i realized yeah this thing tells me i should be walking these streets right now not driving them and eventually i ended up back on the highway after i got a nice tour of uh that'll happen uh kenny here was too late to claim a prepaid hotel room booked through a third-party website thousand dollars for four nights didn't get any of it but a clerk finally took pity on him and gave him a hospitality suite with a fold-out so uh so better than nothing <laughs> i guess um man i mean a lot of people just sitting for hours a lot of people showing up at the wrong time a lot of people going somewhere like asia or australia and booking a hotel for the wrong day based on the time change showing up a oh, day yeah. early showing up an, a day late for a flight um you guys are making me feel better. I made it today. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.